0: Good morning, Bay Life. How we doing? It is great to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's get to it. Daniel chapter three. Uh, we are continuing on in this series that you just saw the little video on trusting and obeying. If you heard some some noise coming through the uh, walls as Michael was praying, as maybe as I'm starting to preach here, uh, it's not that neighbor who uh, has the big stereo in his car. Uh, it's uh, it's actually our students outside. They're getting ready for a thing called see at the pole. I'll be talking to you more about that later. But they're worshiping out there. So don't be alarmed. Everything is fine. Uh, It's great to be here at our church. Had a great weekend. Our ladies had a women's retreat this weekend. There's lots of great things coming up. Men's retreat coming up. Lots of other great things. Look at your bulletins. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of announcements, so I'm just going to preach. How about that? And uh, I'm going to do that after I pray. Let's pray. Hey, Lord, thanks so much, as always, for this opportunity to gather in this place, to sing your songs, to lift you up uh, in your rightful place in our hearts and minds, and now to open your word and to hear from you, God, through it, we know that it's, uh, it's, it's something that you promised that when it comes to us, it's never going to come back void. We, we, we want to be challenged by it and changed by it. So we uh, ask you, God, to take us into your word, encourage us, uh, uh, rewire, re, realign our thinking in, in the ways that are, are yours. And, and get me out of the way, as always. Speak in my place, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally I start with some stories. We have so much to cover in this text this morning. I'm not going to start with a story. I'm just going to tell you uh, the story of our, of our of our text this morning in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, it's, uh, it's this amazing story of prophecy and, and victory in a time of uh, a great uh, calamity in the history of Israel. It starts out in, in Daniel chapter 1 uh, where a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of the Babylonians in 586 B.C., he travels to the southern part of Israel, which is known as Judah, and he takes control. He opens up a can on that place and takes everybody uh, out of their, you know, homes and things like that, decimates the temple, and he brings all of the young men of uh, Israel uh, that are of court worthiness uh, back to Israel with him. It's there that we meet uh, Daniel, the guy the book's named after, and his three friends. They ask uh, during a, a training session or a training period if they could... Uh, uh, be uh, excused from eating the things that everybody else at the training table was eating. They wanted to stick with the dietary restrictions that the, the, the laws of, God of, Israel, of uh, the laws of the God of Israel had given them. And, and the guy who was over them agreed, and it worked out great because everybody got promoted. That's chapter 1. I'm going very quickly, but that's basically chapter 1. Chapter 2, uh, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, has this crazy dream. No one can interpret it for him. No, nobody in the whole nation, all of his advisors, nobody knows what's going on. And so finally, uh, with the threat of death hanging over them, these, these Babylonian officials come to these Jews, one of them being Daniel, and they say, hey, we've all given it our best shot. Can you try? Because if you uh, can't interpret this dream, we're all losing our heads. And so uh, Daniel comes in, nails it, drops the mic, walks out, just does everything you know uh, uh, that, that uh, he needs to do to help Nebuchadnezzar understand the dream. And, and so again... Uh, these 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 four men, Daniel and his three friends, are promoted in the in the government of Babylon. Uh, at the end of chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar says some very kind words about the God of Israel. Uh, he is uh, like so many people, intrigued, uh, but he isn't sold. Uh, he was convicted, but not converted. There's a huge difference. Uh, and so instead of following after the God of Israel, that'll come a little bit later in his life where he finally gets the message. Uh, instead of doing it now, he, he determines, well, uh, I've had this dream about a statue. I should build my own. And I'll have everybody worship me. And that's where we open in chapter three. And it's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. When I was seven years old, a little glimpse inside Mark's Facebook here. Uh, I don't really, anyway, anyway my history. I, I was the star of the uh, children's musical at my church that was centered around this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, thank you. No applause. It's not necessary. But it left an indelible impression on me. I I, I love it to this day, not just for that experience, but obviously for the things it's going to teach us. Let's read it together. Is everybody ready? Daniel chapter 3 starts out like this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and Its breadth or width was six cubits. That's ninety feet by nine feet. That's a uh, that's a cell tower. That's like a flagpole. That's that's a really so so. so scholars have you know kind of gone back and forth Did he really just you know make this really tall skinny thing of himself uh, or some other god that he wanted us to the the nation of Babylon to worship or did he perhaps like make a trophy? Has anybody seen like, like a trophy where the, t- the the cup on top is like you know only this much of the trophy, but everything down below is you know the structure that that trophies, sits on, it's basically what they think they did. He, he built like a ziggurat, remember those kinds of, and then he put this image up on top. Doesn't really matter, but it's fun to talk about at the opening of a sermon. Uh, all you need to know, it's 90 feet high. And then back in those days, there wasn't a whole lot competing with it. Uh, if, they had, if they had tall buildings, there were two, maybe three stories high. Uh, and this thing stuck, you know, eight, nine, ten stories above all of those other structures. Everybody in Babylon uh, that was within eye view of this thing could see it. Uh, from just about anywhere. He set it up on the plane of of a place called Dura. Dura means in uh, Akkadian, the language of the the country. It means city walls. So he set it up just outside the city walls. So he set it up in the suburbs, right? He set it up in Brandon. Isn't that nice of him? (laughs) In the province of Babylon. Verse two. Then King Nebuchadnezzar uh, sent together. And here comes a long list. Now you're going to see this list several times in here. Uh, Hebrews back when they would tell stories would, would list specific details over and over again as, as a part of the, of a mnemonic device. They want to make sure not demonic mnemonic. uh, They wanted to make sure they remembered this thing when they were oral tradition telling it and stuff. So, uh, that's what they would do. They would list things over and over again. So we brought the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, And all the officials of the province, I think he could have just said that, right? Covered everything right there. All the officials of the province, we would have been done. But he he insisted on listing them all here in this account. Uh, He asked all of these officials to come to the dedication of the image uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If you're wondering who all those officials are, it's basically every level and branch of government that you could conceive of. Federal, local, state county I mean he, he's got uh, the, the the magistrates there would be the police officers you got the justices that would be the the judges I mean I mean you, you got all the officials he just wanted to make sure that the emphasis was no one was exempt everybody came verse uh, three then that group uh, uh, gathered for the uh, dedication of the image uh, that the king had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up this is sound really redundant doesn 't it uh, but, but you're going to see some, th- some phrases over and over again in here. Uh, first of all, the word set up. Isn't it true that uh, in, in the world we live in, uh, man is, is especially prone to setting up things that people worship? Isn't there a lot of stuff on this plane that everybody's like giving their worship to? may not be a, a statue standing 90 feet high, but perhaps it's your bank account. Okay, perhaps it's someone uh, in your life, a relationship that's near and dear to you, but it's it's displaced. God, there's a lot of things that man sets up that people fall down to. You're going to see that here in just a second. So everybody's gathered. All these officials are here on the plain of Dura. They're standing next to this statue that that Nebuchadnezzar has built out of gold. And they, the herald proclaimed aloud. This, he's like the speaker of the house, or I don't know, it's press secretary. I don't know, but he's up there. He's got a radio voice. Everybody can hear him. He says, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, because Babylon had taken over lots of nations, peoples, and languages, that when you hear, here comes another long list, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe, Scots represent, woo woo right? In every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden uh, image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. He basically says, listen, when you hear the walk-up song. Has anybody been to a baseball game? Every baseball player now has their own walk-up song. Like, I can be in the trop, and I know when Evan Longoria is up to bat because I know his walk-up song. It's been his walk-up song since his uh, rookie year. And so when I hear, that's that's Evan. (laughs) Has anybody been to the game? That's totally that song right there. I just nailed it right there, right? (laughs) Or how many of you, you would be in the kitchen, and the TV would be on when you were growing up, and all of a sudden you heard, Making the way in the world today takes everything you got. What was coming on? Friends. No, cheers. <laughs> if you don't know the answer, check with someone first. <laughs> <laughs> friends was, right? That was friends, right? This is not a part of the sermon, but I'm glad we had this moment. <laughs> sort that out for you. All right, here we go. Sorry if I'm embarrassing you. Love you. I'm your pastor. I love you. Okay. I know it came from over here. All right. Uh. <laughs> so when the music starts, point, when the music starts, everybody bends the knee. Everybody bows down. to the, in, in all of Babylon, without exception, he didn't, he didn't invite everybody in Babylon. He just invited all the people who are in control of everybody in Babylon. And he said, Hey, all y'all that's, that's in the, <laughs> everybody bows when the song plays. So they had a practice. Here it goes. And whoever did, oh, oh, before we have the practice, uh, he was anticipating the questions. Have you ever made an edict in your house and you, you have that one kid who, you know, is going to try try to find and find the loophole or whatever. Okay, you have to be in bed by 10. And for you, junior, what that means is teeth brushed, blah, 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 all that. St- don't get started ready to be bed by t- Right? Remember that? Who did that with a parent? Okay. Nebuchadnezzar, as a fatherly king, anticipates the loophole questions. And so he says, in case you're wondering, if you decide not to bow down, what's going to happen? Here it is very clearly. Whoever does not fall down when the walk-up song plays, they shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace some people have thought, man, this is kind of a weird way to, you know, execute people. Uh, It was actually very appropriate. Uh, How do you make an image of gold that's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide? You melt a lot of gold. And so just like if you've ever seen like a a project on on a road where they'll bring in, you know, these huge uh, uh, conveyor belts that will will be able to pump cement and trucks and things like that. Uh, they, they, They basically, there in the plain of Dura, they built the plant that would eventually build the statue. And part of that, uh, you know, building plant was this huge furnace that they would melt all the gold in so they could, you know, piece by piece construct this image that everybody was to worship. So it was very fitting. They were there looking at the statue, and right next to the statue was the furnace that the statue was was wrought in, okay? And so Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, this will be cool. If they don't bow to the statue, they get the furnace. It's bow or burn, bow or burn, bow or burn. I don't know if they printed up T-shirts, but that was basically the choice, bow or burn. So then comes the practice, verse 7. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the walk-up music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down, and they worshiped a the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All the peoples, except we're going to find out, three. We'll see how that unfolds. Verse 8. Therefore, at the time, uh, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, specifically three of them. Uh, Chaldeans is just another you know, word for Babylonians. These were muckety-muck uh, high officials in the Babylonian government. Um, when they had seen in chapters 1 and 2 the favor that had been cast on these particular Jews, Daniel and his three friends, they had become very jealous. When they saw that Daniel was able to, to, to interpret the dream of the king and they were given a promotion... I know this never happens at anybody else's job, uh, but, but, but they, were, they, were felt, they felt passed over. Hey, we've been given our whole lives. We, we were, we're Babylonians. You know, we were born here. And so uh, there's no way that these, you know, uppity, you know, captive Jews are going to pass us over. So we've got to find something. And this is it. This is their thing. This is our chance to bring them down. So with that as their motive, they come to the king. And here's how they start. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O oh, king, live forever. Good start. If you're going to go in front of someone who has the power to kill you, like that's, that's what kings did back then. If they didn't like what you were wearing, c- kill the guy in the pink. I don't like the pink at all. Kill him. They, they would do that. And Nebuchadnezzar, as you're going to see, he had a hair-triggered temper. He needed some anger management classes. All right? So these guys, knowing this, uh, did the proper thing. A little butter up on the front end here. O oh, king, live forever. Can we have a word? And this is what they said. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the walk-up music and every, uh, uh, shall fall, fall down and worship the, the, the golden image. I'm picturing Nebuchadnezzar being like, that's exactly what I said. That's, a, that's correct. That's the new rule. And he says this. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. It, it, absolutely. bower burn. Bow or burn. You're right. You got it. Slogan's working. Awesome. Verse 12. Well, guess what? There are certain Jews whom you have appointed. They kind of put this on his doorstep. You should have never given these guys their jobs. They're making you look bad, king. But here they are, these Jews that you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed you go. Your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. That's just Bible fun right there. We're just having fun. (laughs) These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The the charges are threefold. Did you see that? First one, treason. These men don't pay attention to you. They're treasonous. Uh, Second one, blasphemy. They don't worship your gods. They they refuse to worship who you've instructed them to worship. They're, They're blasphemers. And then finally, uh, they're, diso- they're disobeyers. They're, they're defiers. Because they won't do uh, and worship the image that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't take well to this. In a furious rage, like there's another kind. <laughs> <he> comm- <laughs> but uh, the Hebrews will double up, on, or, or, or the writers of the scriptures will double up on words to show you. This was no just common, I got mad in traffic. This guy lost his head, lost his mind with anger. And uh, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, be brought. Uh, So they brought these men before the king. Now, to his credit, even though he's he's livid, uh, he says, I'm not going to just react. Uh, These guys, indeed, were were men that I appointed. They're they're, they're valuable to me. Uh, They've they've shown their worth over time. And so even though these guys uh, have made these claims, I'm going to at least give these guys a chance. Going to give them the chance uh, to own up to what they're being accused of, or to recant and obey as they should. So, verse fourteen. Nebuchadnezzar is in front of these guys, and he asks them this question: "Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up?" Now. It doesn't indicate here in the text that he gave him a a chance to answer. He just goes right to the testing phase. He says, listen, skip that. Uh, I don't want to hear what you did. I just want to know what you're going to do from now on. And he says this. He says, if you're ready now, uh, when you hear the walk-up music, uh, it's time for you to fall down and and to worship the image that I have made. He goes on and he says, "Uh, but if you do not worship, You shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Is that up there? Oh, good. You shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Just so you're clear, bow or burn. Right now. I don't know if you do this in the Bible when you're, like, reading the stories. Put yourself there, Christian. Let's start, first of all, uh, with the fact that uh, these guys, being officials of the government, and everybody, all the government officials from the province, they were called to this image. So I'm guessing they were there. And so maybe there's hundreds, thousands of these officials gathered around on this Plain of Dora. Uh, the, the announcement goes out, you've got to worship. And, and because they were out of eyesight of the king, or maybe the king was doing some other things, he didn't see it. But uh, these three guys, uh, let me see. Can I, get, uh, can I get you three right there? One, two, three. Can you stand up real quick? Just for a second. I know, Yeah, yeah, come on, just stand up. Okay, now if, we, if you all walked in and everybody was singing and everybody else was sitting down and these three were standing up and they stood this way the whole time, are you looking at them after a while? Who's looking at them right now? Yeah. Why? Because they are what? They're different. Have a seat. I don't want you to feel too awkward. Now picture yourself there on the Plain of Dura. The, the walk-up music starts. Government officials that outrank you, uh, all around you, bend the knee. Many of them, not a big deal. It was a polytheistic society. It's like, oh, here's the next image. Let's worship this one. Here we go. Uh, Many of them, though, Jews who had been brought over with these three guys. Uh, Jews who uh, had apparently no problem bending the knee. And this this is what happens. Let's get a little sermon sidebar here. But isn't this what happens in culture? Christians just want to blend in. Just let me blend in. Like I'll do everything the culture expects me to. In my heart, I'm not really worshiping the image. In my heart, everything's square. I know what's going on in here. But just so I don't stick out, I'll do what everybody else is doing. Well, these guys, uh, unlike the other Jews in the crowd who made that choice, they're like, no, I can't. Because this, th- this commandment's in the Big Ten. Not the football conference, but the, the, the Ten Commandments starts out with, no other gods before me. No graven images. No, you, you, you don't bow your knee, if you are a, a son or a daughter of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, you don't do it. How how much courage did it take for these guys to be the only three? Now they didn't rush the stage, just so we're clear. They didn't rush the stage and shake an angry fist in the you know, they they, they didn't go on Facebook and and post all this vitriol about, you know, their Christian faith and all that stuff. They just stood. When everybody else bowed. And the king now says to them, hey, <laughs> you got to decide once and for all. You're going to die. Put yourself, in your, put yourself there. It's happening all, you know, not all over the world, but in certain parts of the world, people are being faced with this decision. You either recant Christ or you die. Put yourself there. We've been blessed to be in a situation where grace uh, has kept us from that choice in America. I'm not saying it won't ever happen. And put yourself there. What are you going to do? Well, these guys have a second choice. They, they didn't bow the first time. They have a second choice in front of them. Uh, now, within, you know, uh, arm's length of this king who has the power to cast them in the furnace, they have to choose. Look, look what he says, though. He taunts the God of Israel. I want to bring this out. Uh, he says, if you don't bow, you burn. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's basically, you know, you know, he's like he's like a football player who just laid a huge lick on a running back, and he's just kind of standing over him because he 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 won that one battle. What's the one battle that he's so you know uh, you know made confident by the fact that he went into Judah and he wiped it out? He says, "What kind of God is protecting you guys? I mean, I took you over without a fight. You're all, I mean, you guys are here because I took you from your land." You couldn't even defend yourselves. Now, he's, he's not aware that all throughout the prophets, God has been predicting that if Israel does not shape up, he's going to allow a country to come and overtake it. He did that uh, with the Assyrians and the northern king in, in the 700s A.D., or B.C., pardon me. And then he, he did it here with the Babylonians in Judah a little bit later, 586. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that. He's just thinking that he's all bad, right? And so he's getting all cocky with these, these, these God followers. He's like, hey... There's the furnace. You think your God's going to save you now? You ever feel like that in the situations you find yourself in? Maybe it's another person who's just kind of standing over you being like taunting you. Let's see if your God can get you out of this one. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. Pretty tough spot, right? Some of you know the story. You know how this works out. Some of you don't though, so this is fun. Want to see what they said? When I tell you what they said, I'm going, to, I'm going to point out three keys, three things that they say in their response to Nebuchadnezzar here uh, that are keys to us trusting and obeying. That's what this whole series is about. It's about us, about us learning to trust God more so we can obey him, obey him more. Now, here's, here's something, another sermon, sidebar. Uh, this is something I just discovered as I was preparing for this week. Uh, certainly, to be able to obey someone, you've got to trust them enough to, to say, okay, I'm in, I'll, I'll go, right? Like, think about your salvation experience. If, 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 if you hadn't trusted what somebody had told you about the gospel, and you hadn't accepted that to be the truth, that there is a God. He made you for himself. You are separated from him by your sin. all right? But he made a way for that sin to be uh, forgiven through his son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, took all of mankind's sins on himself, so that if you believe in Christ and what he has done for you, that sin in your life is erased and you are cre- That's the gospel, right? And, and, and you listen to that, those of you who are Christians out there, and you just heard that, those of you who are not yet Christians out there, and you had the choice, or had the choice, to trust it. And so your very existence as a Christian was predicated on trust. I believe, I accept, and receive what only God can give me through Christ, right? Well, then you move from that, that's salvation, into sanctification, which is obedience. I commit my life to knowing you, and to following you, and to living like you have commanded me in your word. And what I see in your character, Christ, as, I, as your life is described there and so now you're moving from from trust to obedience but here's the point that i've i kind of oh i never thought of this as you go from trust to obedience it's it's just a cyclical cyclical thing over and over again because here's the deal you need trust a preceder of trust to obey but then once you obey as these guys were going to find out you need trust to proceed from that obedience here's what i mean if you stand up in a crowd at work that has always done things kind of underhandedly, underhanded under the table or whatever, and you finally say enough, the Holy Spirit has convicted to me that I can no longer be a part of this process here at work, and I'm going to ring the bell. And everybody that you've worked with your whole life has been like, what, no, don't do that, it's, it's a good thing, and we get this extra money, and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, I can't anymore. And you, in faith, in trust, step out and obey the Holy Spirit's promptings in that, Guess what's coming after that? The reaction. The effects of that choice are going to rest on you, and you're going to have to have incredible faith, incredible trust, to face those ramifications that have come up as a part of your obedience. Is everybody with me? I mean, it is trust and obey, and then trust, and then obey, and then trust, and then obey, and then trust. But don't forget to obey. Trust. Right? That's all it is. It's Christian life. Stepping out in faith, living contra world, doing the things that God wants us to do, and then trusting him with the results. You want to see what these guys did? These three keys start with this one. (laughs) Trusting and obey starts with believing that God can. If if you can say this with conviction in your heart, with, with, with full faith, say this with me. I believe that God can. Say it again. I believe that God can. Say it like you mean it. I believe. That God can. can. I believe that God can. That is is a central tenet of our faith. Listen, if God can't, don't believe in him. If you've got a God who can't, then he's not worth your trust. He's not worth your faith. But because God can, and here's what that means God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that I can ask or think. He is omnipotent, omnipotent, he's all powerful, he's able to do anything according to his will and his purposes. He doesn't do everything. He doesn't always do what we want him to, but he's able. And because he's able, he's worthy of our trust and obedience. Right? Look what Shadrach says. I'm going to name Shadrach the spokesman for this thing because I don't think they prepared this ahead of time and then said it in unison. So Shadrach, I'll just call him the spokesman, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said this, Look at how they start. Oh Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> no live forever, no. Oh King Almighty, what? No. Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Uh, right? Isn't that what they just did? Go ahead, brush your shoulders off. Right? I mean, it's just. I mean, he just, he just, that, that, they just went to the most powerful man in their existence, and said. <laughs> This, this question doesn't even deserve an answer. <sighs> Why are you bothering? You, you got me up for this. <clears throat> but since we're here, we'll give you an answer. Here it is. If this be so, if, if we have to bow or burn, if, and if you're, listen, let's just have the given in this, this little geometry problem. The given is we ain't bowing. The knee's not going to bend. So I guess the burn is on. So if the burn is on, if this be so, our God whom we serve, is say it with me? Able. In the face of the furnace, our God is able. He's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And then and then they then they go another step. And listen. I don't just believe that God is able. I believe because of my faith in my God because of his record in my life I believe that he will deliver us all well, that that's another level isn't it not just that he can he believes that he will and this needs to be our faith not just that God can deliver us but our hope our confidence should be in every situation that I don't know how he's going to do it, but God will deliver us because he loves us and he's for us and not against us. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. (laughs) And he digs his stuff. When his kids are in trouble, he loves coming to the rescue. I believe that he will and that he's able. And belief is so much easier when you have a confidence that someone's able. Like like, uh, at our house, uh, for twenty three years I've been married to my awesome wife Eleanor and, and as we empty the dishwasher on occasion together, uh, or even if I'm sitting in the in the living room while she's doing it, which is not often, ladies, but uh <sighs> but if that's happening, I know that the potential for me getting called into the situation is great because she's five foot three and she can handle the first two or three shelves in our cupboards, but if she's gotta put that crock pot up on shelf number four, Mark's getting tagged in, right? And somewhere early on in our relationship, she figured out that six foot one Mark has a little bit more reach than five foot three Eleanor. And so she has been trusting in my ability to put the crock pot away for 23 years. Counts on me to do it every time. She's handed me every jar that's ever been opened in our home for 23 years. Why? Because she's not even going to waste her time on the pickles. Just get it to the big burly man, you know, who sees it as a sign of his masculinity that he can open jars, right? Because, fellas, you know that's what it is. I mean, if I can't open that pickle jar, we're getting the hammer out. This thing's going to open. Right? And that's her confidence. If we've got to get this open, if we've got to have the pickles for the burgers, I'm not wasting my time. I'm going to the one who's able. See, see I'm not special. Neither are you, fellas. But our abilities shaped our, our wives' trust in situations. Are you with me? And God's ability, which far exceeds the pickles... Should be the kind of thing that shapes our trust in him. But how many times, look at me, look at me real quick. How many times do we get into situations and we just forget that he's able? Like we, like we get in the, in the face of the furnace and, and, and the fire's kind of, you know, we could feel it looking on our face and we're like, Whoa! and we go all chicken little on him. The sky's falling. Because apparently this is out of his purview. This is out of his scope. His, he's, he's not able on this one, so I got to take over. Oh, no, man. The, the beginnings of trust and obedience is knowing that God's able. The second thing is trusting and obeying is, is, is not based on outcome. Gotta get this, Christians. And not yet Christians. If, if you if you get into this thing, here, here's what happens with a lot of Christians, I think, or, or people who start in the faith and maybe stop, whatever, never really get going, is they, is they think, okay, my life stinks. I need a savior. I need this to get better. So I'm gonna try Jesus, Life gets better initially, okay? Things are going, you know, I'm, I'm learning things. But then the next furnace comes. And all of a sudden, uh, well, I don't, I don't get the free pass. God didn't get me out of this furnace. And it's hard. It's hard for way longer than I thought it would be hard. And so now I'm starting to wonder if God's even real. I'm starting to question my decision. Maybe I shouldn't have become a Christian. Maybe this thing's whole, you know, the hoax I thought it was, and I tap out. Well, here's what happened. When you started, you started with the condition that God would always meet your expectations of how things would work out. It was your, your faith was conditional on outcomes. But here's what I have to tell you. Uh, your faith should just be faith regardless of outcomes. Because if we trust God, we trust that he knows better than us, and even when the furnace comes, he's going to work this out for my good. Look at it, uh, This is what this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. He, he, he basically dismiss, you know, brushes it off with the king. He says, I don't even need to talk to you about this. I believe that God's able to get us out of the furnace. I believe that God will get us out of the furnace. But then Shadrach says this but. But we're, we're looking at this from, from, you know, 2,000 or more than that, thousands of years after the fact. We know how the story ends. Many of us, you're like, come on, Mark, get to the point. But these guys don't know. They're on this side of the furnace. They don't know what God's going to do. They believe he can. They trust he will. But here's the deal, King. Even if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, even if a miracle isn't coming, still not going to do it. But if not, if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image that you have set up. These knees are staying straight. They only bend for one, and you're not him. This, 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 is, this is the difference between having a faith of expectation and a faith of presumption. A faith of expectation and a faith of presumption. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a faith of expectation. God can. I believe God will. But even if he doesn't, he's still God and we're good. Some people come to God and they have a faith of presumption. I believe God can. I believe God will. And I presume that I am entitled to what I expect God to do. And when God doesn't do that, well, things go all squawk. But we can't have that attitude. We've got to understand that God is sovereign. God knows better than us. Does anybody think that God knows better than you and me? I think he does. I, listen, I don't always understand. I told you this last week that I, when I was talking to you. I don't know why bad things happen. I don't know why furnaces come. I, I don't. And I could spend lots of time trying, trying to connect those dots, but I choose not to. Because even if I could connect the dots, I, I'm so convicted on this. Even if I could tell you guys, well, here's why you've got to go through bankruptcy, Here's why you got to go through this hardship in your marriage. Here's why you got to go through all these things because God, in His infinite wisdom, is going to use those things in your life to create these characteristics. He's going to use those things so that when this other marriage is starting to fall apart, you can be a witness to them. And you're going to hear all these things that God's going to do as a result of your furnace, and you're still going to be like, not worth it. Not interested. Because what's your main, in your sin nature, what's your main point in life? This guy. I don't care about that, all, all that altruistic other people getting blessed by my hurts. Take away my hurts. Forget the dots. So here's what I do. I choose not to ask why. I just choose to ask who? Who am I going to look to in this? And then I choose to ask what? Hey, God, what do you want me to do next? Those are the questions you ask in the furnace. Those are the things I'm trying to teach my kids. It's God's trying to teach us. My my kids, (coughs) they all have uh, their own money now, which is great, right? Because there's lots of things that I don't pay for. There's lots of things I still do. In fact, if we're all together, uh, anybody want to guess how many uh, meals my kids have bought me in their lifetime? (laughs) I got one finger that they'll know. Anyway, Um, but, but here's what I'm trying to teach my kids. I'm trying to teach them that they shouldn't expect Dad to be the wallet every time. So we'll go to Chipotle and get a bowl. And I'll, I'll do this from time to time just to test them. You know, I'll be in front and I'll pay for mine. And I'll turn back to them and I'll say, hey, you're going to pay for yours, right? And it's a test. Because if they say, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And they pull their wallet out and they start, gra- you know, start to grab their, their debit card or whatever. I'm like, ah, uh, no problem. Don't forget about it. I got them. I mean, that was just a test. <laughs> right? And I swipe for them. But if I get this, What? You want me to pay seven dollars, What? money? Usually, I get this. Oh, I didn't even bring my wallet. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> wallet? You're the wallet, right? I mean, and that that leads to another. Why? Why? Why do I do that? Why do I hate my kids and I want them to, to suffer? Is that why I do that? No. But do I want my kids to understand? That I'm not some candy machine that they can just, you know, put love quarters in and I'm just. Is that.? Yeah. And is God some cosmic candy machine that we put our prayers into or, and, and, and we just get everything they want? No. And so our relationship with God should be one of expectation, hope, but not presumption. Trusting and obeying, it's not based on outcome. And then finally, as we go home, trusting and obeying. Will often take us into the furnace. I find it very interesting. Well, let's read the story and I'll, I'll tell you what I find interesting after that. Uh, it says here in verse 19 Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, no kidding. Uh, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times more. We don't know if they had a thermostat and they're like, multiply it by seven. No, it just means it's like Hebrew hyperbole. He just like, make this thing hotter than the sun, hotter than it's ever been. And so that's what happens. He brings in the seals. Look at what it said, verse 20. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army. He brought in the special forces to, to bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and again. We're not leaving anything to chance. I don't want just the, you know, the, the average run-of-the-mill prison guard tying these guys. I want the very best. I want the guy who you know, aced his badge in knots You know, on the Boy Scouts. I want them tying up these guys. And so they came and they tied up the, and, and they were getting ready to cast them into the burning furnace. It's interesting that they... They bound them in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and all their other garments. It's like they went to the closet and they just said, put everything on. Uh, scholars think that Nebuchadnezzar did this because he didn't want anything that could be tied to these guys uh, existing once he threw them in the fire. Burn it all. Everything they got, toasted. <sighs> Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent uh, and the, fire, uh, the furnace was overheated, The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It goes on and says this, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Now that have you ever read this and been like, well, that should have been your first sign. If the seals can't even survive the fire at the opening of the furnace, but these three dudes, I don't know if they like, you know, hopped the last three feet, you know, (laughs) into the furnace themselves. But they somehow got in the furnace after the Navy SEALs died. That should have been Nebuchadnezzar's first sign. Hey, this isn't going according to plan. Shouldn't they have died too? But for the sake of time, they, they fall in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar goes to an observatory uh, station. There's, there's a window of some kind that where he can look down into the furnace as, as these guys are in there. And he turns to one of his officials and he says, hey, how many guys we throw in there? And the official says, well, <laughs> there's a trick. Three. Three. It's not like a big number. Three. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, wait a minute, there's four. And one of them, one of them looks like the Son of God, looks like the Son of Man. He, he looks, we only threw three, there's another guy in there. And they're dancing in our flames. And so he goes down to the furnace and he yells into the furnace, gets as close as he can. He doesn't want to burn up himself, but he starts yelling, hey, fellas, come on out! And these three guys come out of the furnace. All of their clothes, you know, picture all of your clothes on you. You know, you're like the guy on Christmas Story. You know, you're walking around like this. (laughs) But they come out, and none of their clothes smell like smoke. I stand by the fire pit in my backyard for five minutes. I need a shower. But their hair doesn't smell like smoke. None of their clothes smell like smoke. They've been miraculously delivered from the fire. And if you read the rest of the story, happy ending. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar commends the God of Israel, says no one can say anything against him. He, he, he promotes these men, rightly, right? It's the only dudes that they've ever thrown out in on the sun, and they came back to talk about it. But I find it interesting, even in this situation, because some of you are like, well, yeah, that was them, but, you know, I'm in the furnace, and I haven't been delivered yet. But, but, but even their story, think about it. What could God have done? He could have sent, like, a giant raindrop the, side of, the size of Rhode Island and just have it land on the furnace, Fires out, you know, party over. Uh, He could have he could have aced, you know, every one of the guards, the Navy SEALs, just killed him right there. He could have turned Shadrach, Meshach, this is my favorite. He could have turned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into ninjas. And they could have just taken everybody out, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) escaped like that, right? But what did he do? Everybody sees what he did, right? He let them be bound. He let them be dragged. And he let them be thrown into the furnace. And it wasn't until they were in the furnace that he sent his deliverer. Whether it was, you know, some people think it was one of the members of the Trinity, Jesus, or, or it was some angel. It doesn't matter. It, it was until they were in the furnace that he did anything. That, that just goes to show you that, that God, uh, he's not always interesting and delivered, or interested in delivering us from the furnace uh, but he promises, even if it causes, you know, great pain, great sorrow, even if we lose our lives, he promises us that this life, uh, he's going to deliver us uh, in the furnace. And he's going to take us from the hurts and and restore us uh, because he's our God who loves. I was uh, reading an email from a lady who goes to our church. She's a snowbird. Her name's and uh, Shar came, uh, you know, uh, was in a car accident last year, and while she was getting uh, uh, looked at for some of her injuries that were, thankfully, fairly minor, uh, they discovered she had cancer. And so uh, her blood tests revealed this, and she started having treatments for her cancer, her chemo. And uh, so she's living up in the north and getting all her chemo treatments. She sends out email bombs to everybody down here in Florida so they can all know what to expect as far as her and her husband coming down. And, hey, my chemo's taking a little longer than I thought. Hopefully, we'll be there this month, but maybe it'll take a few more months and... Just kind of filling us all in on what's going on, and then she wrote this one little sentence. she wrote this one little sentence she said this: she says, "Listen, everything that's happened to us, the accident my my cancer it 's all just a bump on my road to heaven and god 's you know essentially she says god 's got us, and whatever he wants we'll we'll take, and glory be to God signed sure." And I, I read the whole email. Anybody ever read a whole email? And then like one little sentence, the Holy Spirit goes, oh! And that was the one little sentence. And you know what jumped out for me? Char didn't say, hey, my journey here on earth has been influenced by my cancer and the car accident. No, he says, my journey to my eternity with God in heaven has had this little bump on it. But because her eyes are focused on the prize that Paul talked about, about leaving behind Fixing my eyes on the prize. Because her eyes are focused on the prize. The furnaces that come in her life here on earth, eh, bumps. Not a big deal. Because I know that my, my father has saved me through his son, Jesus Christ. That my eternal destiny is secure in him. And no matter what happens between now and then, we're good. One little sentence. With something that drove home what it is for us to trust and obey. I pray that you and I would be found if we're ever in that situation with unbended knee, trusting and obeying God for whatever he has, believing that he's able, trusting that he will deliver, but even if he doesn't, my commitment to him is sure. It's not contingent on outcomes. He's got me. Whatever bumps come on my road to heaven, I'll trust them with them always. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your word. Use it in our lives to encourage us. I know there's people in the middle of the furnace. They are not dancing. Uh, It's hard right now. Uh, So I pray for them, that your deliverance would be swift, and that you would lead them uh, uh, out of the things that are troubling them. Uh, Lord, There's so many in here that I'm sure are kind of on the fence as to whether or not they can trust you. I pray that they would fall over on the side that says, yes, I will trust regardless. There's people in here who haven't started their life with you. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day where they they would hear your gospel, that your son came to save them. They would receive that truth and trust you, Lord, with their lives. For all of us, God, would you just make us stronger as we seek to trust and obey you? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you as you go. Have a great week. If you're new and need some prayer, or either of those, come on up and see me in the corner. Have a great day.